everybody. Dave Neal here. This is the SAP, the Sex Actually podcast. Hello to all the Patreon members watching on YouTube and to all of our audio listeners. Good to hear and see all of you guys out there. Uh, this episode is a solo episode. I'm just going to rant and ramble about some ongoings in the world. Uh, thank you, everyone, for wishing my fiance Tasha Courtney, a happy birthday. She just hit a milestone birthday. Not really. Early to mid-30s, you know. And uh, we did a socially distanced celebration in our new backyard. If you haven't followed, you got to check out the vlogs. Uh, I've been posting uh, basically how we turned a cement slab patio into a pretty nice, I mean, honestly, to be to be quite fair, I mean, a pretty nice setup with some AstroTurf chairs, fire pit area, and uh, a patio furniture. So anyway, we want to thank everyone who's been sort of along that journey with us. What a glow up it's been the last couple months, moving out of a studio apartment into a little two-bedroom with a backyard. I mean, the dog is loving it. He doesn't have to go down three flights of stairs to go pee. I mean, this is a big deal for the dog. And to be honest with you, it saves me about an hour every day. And time is money. Money is time. So it's uh, more time for me to create content with you guys. Yeah, for Ta- so for Tasha's birthday last year, we got into that cake-making competition where I had never made a cake before. And then Tasha always, she'll like say something snarky, like, oh, you're not going to be able to make a cake. And then I'll like, I'll think of that for the rest of the day. And I'll be like, you don't think I can make a cake? You don't think I know how to bake a cake? And then she'll throw in, yeah, but is it gluten-free? Is it vegan? And I'm like, I'm going to make you the best gluten-free vegan cake you've ever seen. And then I get to work. And, of course, last year in our cake off that we had, she made me a coronavirus, which was a layered cake into a semi-sphere with, uh, you know, Twizzlers and little gumdrops used as the uh, little corona nubs. And, uh, and then for hers, I made her a uh, Harry Potter head, which uh, both cakes turned out pretty good, but mine, I think, was the clear winner as far as uh, the audience was concerned. They voted on mine, and it won. Uh, humble brag, no big deal. Well, this year, Tasha's like, I don't have time to do a cake-making competition. So I was like, you want me to make both cakes? i got to make my own cake. So I bought these four-inch tin um, uh, trays to bake the cakes in, like, which is very small. If you think four inches, you know, very small or uh, for some guys, you know, just the right size. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I made a syringe for my cake. Cause I was like, well, if last year I had the coronavirus cake this year, I want the vaccine. So I made the vaccine cake, which turned out to be delicious. It was a white, I made it into a long elongated white syringe, like a long semi cylinder. And I uh, had a little tip on one end and a little pump on the other for the syringe. And then I used uh, Twizzler string as the uh, the metrics, the measurement metrics on, on the top of the cake. So the Twizzler itself, I found out, is not gluten-free. But the rest of the cake was vegan and gluten-free, uh, which is very easy to make since cake's mainly sugar. Very easy to make a gluten-free cake. Um, and then after that, for Tasha's birthday on Saturday, she wanted another Harry Potter cake. And I was like, listen, I already made the, the only Harry Potter cake I know how to make. So this time I made a butterbeer cake, which is obviously from the Harry Potter movies. It loves a good butterbeer. Um, and I made butterscotch a topping on top of a very tall and skinny butterbeer cake. Uh, with a uh, um, buttercream frosting. So I guess I do baking now. I guess that's where my life's at. Uh, very hard to cut sweets when it's your birthday season. So now that uh, Tasha's birthday is over, we are good to uh, you know hopefully try to get into better shape because it's literally been destroying me. 
I tell you what, you know what I've learned 15 months into the pandemic? My body has literally changed sizes. Like the first couple months of the pandemic, I went on a lot of long distance runs and it was my chance to like get out of the house for the day. I wasn't really making much YouTube videos yet. I, I didn't really have any business. I was just kind of like living life. It was very nice. It was very nice to not have to worry about the st- all the stresses we put together in life. And I was just running a lot. But then what I started to notice is I started to lose body, like m- body mass, like muscle in my shoulders, because for the first time in my life, even when you take a month off here and there, but it was for the first time in my life, like six months in the pandemic, where I stopped lifting all weights whatsoever. So I ended up buying these little 25 pound weights that have, you can adjust the size between five and 25 pounds, which isn't much, but for dumbbells, it's been enough to do shoulders. And I've been doing TRX workouts, which is those bands where you can kind of do like one-legged squats as you hold these bands. And then they've got the, like the, uh, reverse, uh, you know, chin, uh, chest press and all these random workouts. I've realized as much as I liked going to the gym beforehand, uh, crunch gym, I kind of like to people watch it was my chance to socialize I, as much as I did like going to the gym. It is nice to know that in my own little backyard AstroTurf area, I can pretty much do a full workout, open up my laptop, put a, some YouTube videos on, watch some news, do whatever I want and kind of jam out in my own time. Although it has made it, you know, the, the pandemic has kind of brought out my antisocial side. Like I, I still, I still enjoyed the idea of the gym uh, you know, where I was like, literally can just go sit in a steam room with a couple strangers. That's gross to some people. But for me, it's like, I need to go to a gym and see the girl doing the squats and the guy doing jumping jacks. And I just need to like be a part of a community. And maybe that doesn't have to be the gym. Maybe I can go find other ways to kind of accomplish that. But I have noticed, um, you know, after over a year of the pandemic, I have noticed the ways in which my life has kind of changed forever. Or at least for now. I mean, maybe I'll go back to a gym someday, but I don't think it'll be anytime soon. I think I've gotten into kind of my groove, figuring out what to do, what to eat. But, you know, having spent, you know, spending so much extra time at home, I really did get back to using food as this weird reward system. I don't know if you guys do this, but like as soon as the pandemic hit, I it, it's almost like the same thing happened during Hurricane Sandy. The same thing happens during like a long winter in New England. I just give myself the excuse to let go. I go, well, my reward's going to be the food. And it's not even good food. I'll just get like a cheap DiGiorno frozen pizza. So, um... Not exactly like, uh, you know, culinary delight, but for whatever reason, I will just eat myself until I hate myself. And I, and I don't know if that's, that, that's just my addiction. That's just what it is. So what I've had to learn is like whenever we order Thai food, I got to like put it onto a plate and then put the Thai food away and then just eat what's on the plate, which is still an excessive amount of food. But if I don't do that, if I'm eating out of like the bin, the Thai food came in, which maybe this sounds like disgusting to like a normal person, but I think anyone out there who like knows when, whenever there's like, whenever, you know, you know, back when I lived in Harlem, there was this Chinese food place I'd go to. And it was very clearly, uh, you know, that they would serve you at least three meals worth of rice and um, orange chicken or whatever it is I would get. It would come with one floret of broccoli, a pound of rice, 
and a just a just bucket of orange chicken, which is really just fried chicken with a bunch of sweet orange sauce, whatever that is. It's just sugar. It's just sugar paste, you know. And then it would come with a diet coke, and I'd get that all for like eight bucks. I mean, like the the, the one thing I'll say about New York is the food can be so cheap if you know where to go. So. That would be that would be like my fun Sunday. I'd like you know lived. My roommate would be out of town. I'd have the I'd have the apartment to myself, just me, the TV, and like eat all day long. But what I'm realizing is like I just turned 36. You just can't do that anymore. Like um you know my um I my mom you know she she hates it when I talk about it, but um she uh, luckily she doesn't listen to the podcast. She's about to hit like her weight loss journey. She's been on over the last year. She's about to be at a hundred pounds weight loss, which I couldn't give my mom any gift in the world. Like nothing would make me so happy than to know she's overcoming those challenges of like the, the food addiction and, and, you know, eating to cover for whatever pain she has. Cause I feel that I, that's what I do. I don't drink much alcohol. I don't really do any drugs. I'll have an edible here and there, but I will just stuff my face. Well, the point being is I, I still, I want to get to a place where like, you're not, you can't quit food the way you can quit alcohol. Right. But I want to get to a place where I can eat a cookie and be done with it and not have to have the whole sleeve. That's what I'm saying. And uh, But it's been hard because of how many amazing people exist in my world that keep sending me food. And I'm not saying that, like, look, keep sending me food. This is on me. I I, I don't want you to uh, be codependent and, and, uh, and uh, deal with my own issues here. But So keep sending me food. But I need to just do a better job of learning how to eat it. You know, we had Susan sent me three pizzas. Susan's in Washington State, and she found a... Um, a food delivery service to send me Detroit style pizza from Michigan. Look, that's amazing. And for the most part, I did a good job of like spacing it out and eating the, the pizzas like one at a time. But uh, then uh, we have a, we have a friend in Maryland who goes by the Instagram name Nums Yums, N-U-M-S, uh, Y-U-M-S, Nums Yums. And she sent me a giant box of homemade, and I, by homemade, I mean by a professional baker, Oatmeal, chocolate chip cookies, uh, little, um, you know, uh, 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 but like a s'more bombs. It's like a thing you like you, you put in, you know, just different types of desserts. Uh, just like this uh, s'mores cookies and a, a whole bunch of other things. I'm looking at them right now and I'm like eating these at noon. <laughs> like, what am I doing? This is an end of the day food. You can't be doing this in the middle of the day. Uh, because you know, like, look, it's a reward. That's what it comes down to is like, my problem is re the reward structure of things. So like after a stand up set, I'll go get tacos, even if I'm not hungry because I want to reward myself. Um, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because like growing up, we didn't go out much and I don't know what it is, folks. I think it's because I just grew up with, with like, you know, in my impressionable years, Having my mom tell me like, you know, finish your plate. You got to eat all your food, which I get. That's what you tell the kid to do. But like, I was also a chubby kid. So it's like, yeah, maybe don't finish that plate. Maybe you got enough, you know, uh, mashed potatoes tonight, Dave. Yeah, I was a fat kid. I was a chubby kid, guys. So I got chubby kid energy. But anyway, so here we are. Um, on this solo episode, I wanted to share with you guys a couple um, Reddit questions. You know, we love the good relationship questions from Reddit. Uh, yeah, up in the news is Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez possibly back together after 17 years. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then the idea, and I just wanted to just talk about this, the idea of like 
building up celebrity just to knock it down. Now, I'm going to relate this to myself. And by no means am I trying to say that I'm a celebrity. By no means, guys. Um, but I have carved out a tiny, tiny niche of name recognition within the Bachelor community. Uh, you know, tiny in the sense that um, if people follow the Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise, I might be one of the videos that's promoted to them on YouTube. It started happening, um, you know, several months ago. I mean, I've made Bachelor content for probably six or seven years, but several months ago, YouTube really started recommending my stuff to the tune of, you know, something like 10 to 15 million impressions a month, which means a lot of people are watching a lot of those videos and it's been amazing, but it also means new scrutiny, new people that don't like me, new people that don't like my opinion or triggered by my face or yeah, just weird. So, so the question becomes uh, how to reckon with strangers that don't like you, how to be authentic to who you are, and how do you like stop wanting to be a people pleaser? That's something I feel like I should Google right now. Let me, let me Google that. How to stop being a people pleaser? Because the idea, listen, when it, when it comes down to it, the idea of making content like podcast, um, I'm really just like trying to talk myself through, you know, not just how to be a better person for the sake of, uh, you know, I want to be a better person. But I think, I think what you realize over time is like, you just want to be like optimal. You want to like, I, I want to cause the least amount of carbon waste, whether that be, you know, bandwidth on the internet. Like I don't, I want to be a net positive. It's what you say with stand-up comedy. You know, you want the energy in the room to be better when you got off the stage than when you got on. You want to do something, and that's, I feel like, as humans, what we all strive to do. We all strive to be, <clears throat> you know, a net positive. Because when we don't do stuff, when we feel lazy, we just feel like we're, like, uh, we're not living up to our potential. So, <clears throat> 21 tips to stop being a people pleaser. Let's just bang these out. People pleasers want everyone around them to be happy and they will do whatever is asked of them to keep it that way. Um, this is this is the relationship too. I'm a huge people pleaser with Tasha. They put everyone else before themselves. That's the codependent thing. For some, saying yes is a habit. For others, it's almost an addiction that makes them feel like they need to be needed. This makes them feel important and like they're contributing to someone else's life. People pleasers yearn for outside validation. Their personal feelings of security and self-confidence is based on getting the approval of others. Wow. No surprises. Thus, at the core, people pleasers lack confidence. They worry how others will view them when they say no. People, people don't want to be seen as lazy, uncaring, selfish, or totally egocentric. They fear they'll be disliked and cut from the group. Yeah, that's the biggest fear in the world, right, is being ostracized. And a lot of people don't realize this until it's happened to you. Like, I've, I've, had, I've had, like, moments where I've been publicly shamed, <clears throat> Things that were overcome, you know, I was able to overcome, but moments where like, you know, within the community, like you, people try to cancel you or they go, oh, we don't like that Facebook post. So like it, beco it becomes a whole thing. And again, it's not on the size where you're getting fired, but it's on the size where it's like, are we having these internet battles? Like, do these battles exist in real life? I don't know. Am I scarred from like just wanting people's appreciation because within comedy, there's just more slamming than there is kind of like kumbaya. I'm not sure. What many people, but then again, guys, I'm not like, I'm not like torn apart by like a negative comment. You know, I'm not torn apart by a negative comment, but what does suck is I've had people, I've had people like post like, um, sort of not, yeah, maybe conflate what I do and try to, you know, try to cancel me privately to others. That's what, that's what becomes annoying. 
It's one thing when someone posts online like, oh, yeah, I don't like you because of X, Y, and Z, and then you can fight that fight. But what, what's happened is I found out that people have, you know, people that follow the, my YouTube stuff will either sort of hate watch, which is crazy. But if you're going to get, you know, this year I got 8 million YouTube views. So you're going to get several dozen that are absolutely insane people that just hate you. Like, it's just going to be it's just, like, even the most loved people out there are going to have people that hate you. And it's like, on one end you go, all right, I don't, you don't want to have to worry about the haters, but if those haters are like actively messing with your income by like reaching out to advertisers or reaching out to people being like, why do you support Dave? Blah, blah, blah. Then it kind of becomes a problem and you go, do I need to have a talk with this person? <laughs> Which sounds wild. It sounds wild. Like it, like, cause you, you know, on the route, of everything, you're not going to be able to please everybody, yet it still feels like something we want to do. So <clears throat> in your life, the situation might be different. It might be a spouse or a son or something. But, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself. You, you know, you, you can't, you don't want to strive to be the giving tree. You know, that ends with him, you know, be, be, you know, being whittled down to a stump. You don't want that to be the case. So where's the happy medium? Uh, <clears throat> all right, let's read these 21 tips. Number one, realize you have a choice. People pleasers often feel like they have to say yes when someone asks for their help. Remember that you always have a choice to say no. Yeah, but the problem with that in a relationship, say no to your significant other, you know, like how's that going to end? You know, there's a lot of giving that needs to happen in a relationship. Number two, set your priorities. Knowing your priorities and values helps you put the brakes on people pleasing. You know when you feel comfortable saying no or saying yes. Ask yourself, what are the most important things to me? Number three, stall. Whenever someone asks you for a favor, it's perfectly okay to say that you'll need to think about it. This gives you the opportunity to consider if you can commit to helping them. You know, th this is a great one, is, you know, especially in a relationship. Quick, it's almost like quick to say no, slow to say yes. Does that make sense? Newman suggests asking yourself, how stressful is this going to be? Do I have the time to do this? What am I going to give up? How pressured am I going to feel? Am I going to be upset with this person who's asking? Asking yourself these questions is key because, as Newman said, very often after you've said yes or helped out, you're left wondering, what was I thinking? I neither have the time nor the expertise to help out. If the person needs an answer right away, your automatic answer can be no. That's because once you say yes, you're stuck. By saying no automatically, you leave yourself an option to say yes later if you've realized that you're available. You've also gotten it off your must-do or don't-want-to-do list. Set a time limit. If you do agree to help out, limit your time frame. Let the person know that I'm only available from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Oh, that's a good idea. Number five, consider if you're being manipulated. Sometimes people are clearly taking advantage of you, so it's important to watch out for manipulators and flatterers. How do you spot them? She said, often the people who flatter you will say statements like, oh, you're so good at baking cakes. Would you make a cake for my child's birthday? Or I don't know how to put this bookshelf together, but you're so handy. Can you help me out? Interesting. So if flattery is used before someone asking you a question, they're probably manipulating you. Uh, Dave, you're so good at sex. Would you mind? No. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. A classic line is, nobody does this better than you do. These people will either coax you into doing something or try to tell you what your availability is or what your time frame is. Basically, before you know it, they make the decision for you. Yikes. Number six, create a mantra. Figure out a mantra you can say to yourself to stop you from people-pleasing. It can even be a visual or simple as a big no flashing when a certain friend who can always talk you into something approaches you. Uh, just say no, no, no. Say no with conviction. The first no to anyone is always the hardest. But once you get over that first bump, you will be well on your way to getting off the yes treadmill. You know, you know what's interesting is um, there's a guy I used to work with who was 
who knew Joe Rogan and asked Joe Rogan if he would be on his podcast. And he said, Joe Rogan just flat out told him no. He said, no, I just don't have time. And that's so amazing because I live in a world where I would tell someone 55,000 reasons why I can't do their podcast when I really should just say, no, I'm only working on my own projects right now. Oh, how freeing is that be? Say no with conviction. That's a good one. You can time, you get time for yourself and for the people you really want to help. Yeah, by saying no to things you don't want to do, it does open up the doors for time to do the things you do. Number eight, use an empathic assertion. Some people initially think that being assertive means stepping all over people. Instead, she explained that assertiveness is really about connection. Using an empathic assertion means that you put yourself in the other person's shoes as you assert yourself. So you let the person know that you understand where they're coming from, but unfortunately, you can't help. People need to feel heard and understood, and this is a respectful way of asserting yourself and saying no. You know, it's like, listen, I know you need help moving on a Saturday, but I got all these, you know, all right. Consider if it's worth it. When asserting yourself... Uh, Ask, is it really worth it? It's probably not worth it to tell your boss about his annoying habit, but it is worth it to tell your friend that you can't do lunch because you're super busy. Don't give a litany of excuses. It's tempting to want to defend your decision to say no to someone so they understand your reasoning, but this backfires. According to Newman, as soon as you start explaining, you give the other person lots of wiggle room to come back and say, oh, you can do that later. You can adjust your schedule, or that's not as important as what I'm asking. Oh, oh, I can't do it on Saturday. Oh, all right, how about Sunday? Well, Sunday I'm going to be sick. So uh, I'm planning on having the flu on the day you're moving. Start small, number 11. Everything we learn how to do, we learn through a process. So take baby steps. Instead of barging in your boss's office to ask for a raise, talk with your immediate supervisor first about how to prepare yourself for the talk. Practice successive approximation. Successive approximation means taking one step in the direction you want to go and rewarding yourself for getting that far. Does that mean I get a cookie after doing this podcast? If your neighbor's dog barking is driving you crazy, make efforts to confront the person by first saying good morning as you're both leaving the house. Another time, you might mention how noisy the neighborhood has been. If he doesn't get the hint, you can knock on his door and use an empathic assertion. It can help to write down how you get from A to Z. This also helps you gain courage to confront the person. It's kind of like uh, using some a little bit of honey to win someone over, you know, starting with, you know, getting someone in the right mindset. Don't apologize if it's not your fault. This is one I've sort of had to learn about because I get, you know, when I make videos, they'll, they'll, they'll very often be people that have actual claims to like be offended by. They'll be like, look, Dave, I'm offended by whatever word choice you used or whatever. But then, but then sometimes people will stretch and it's like, look, I feel like, you know, in some cases people will stretch to find offense to things because I have a platform and they go, well, you can't talk like that. You can't make fun of people with ADD because people with ADD. And it's like, what, you know, like some people, it goes on a stretch and, and the, uh, the idea of not apologizing for something that you don't think is your fault, that's a good thing to do. People pleasers tend to be serial apologists. Pay attention to when you're apologizing and consider if you're really at fault. Ask yourself if you're responsible for the situation. Usually the answer is no. You know, it's like it's like with comedy. You know, comedians have had to learn not to apologize for jokes they've told on stage when they're trying to be funny. Now, now, there's probably an excuse to that rule all the time, but for the most part, if someone's trying to be funny and they miss, that's like apologizing for striking out. It's like you weren't trying to strike out. You were trying to get a hit. It didn't work. 
remember that saying no. So I've had to think about that with my with myself. Where like I've always had to think like what if what if like um, my community tries to cancel me for an old joke I told online or something. I have to reckon with like where I am now as a person, where I've made mistakes in the past, and not apologize for things that would be deemed a normal process, which for stand-up comedy means bombing it in a set, you know? Now, that doesn't mean if you if you have a tirade, you're not allowed to just flip out on somebody, but, like, we need to be able to separate, like, someone's true intentions from what they said, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to, like, comedy and things like that, which, you know, maybe people in the real world don't have to worry too much about this, but this is stuff that I have to worry about. When, when, you, when you do things like I do where you are, uh, provide commentary for different... Uh, topics and at this and on, at the same time perform stand up on stage. You can't twist someone's point of view from from what they're saying to get jokes. Um, obviously, with that said, you're not trying to punch down on anyone, you know, through humor. You're trying to think, you know, smart, progressive jokes, jokes that uh, aren't uh, the easy target. But when you're new into comedy, that's that's kind of where you start with hack jokes. Remember that uh, number fourteen. Remember that saying: No has its benefits. You are a person, you're entitled to your time and you need to rest and rejuvenate to be there for the people you want to help out. Look at saying no as an opportunity to spend your time doing what you value in your life. Set clear boundaries and follow through. We all have physical or emotional limits. Ask yourself what you're willing to do and don't go beyond those limits. Be clear in communicating your boundaries. Say what you're thinking and what you want. Letting someone step over your boundaries without voicing your frustrations can, can lead you to bottle up this negative feeling about a person to the point when you have a blow up and really hurt someone's feelings or end the relationship. For instance, you might have a friend who's just so emotionally needy and negative that she calls you all the time with her problems and wants you to listen. But even just listening is asking a favor. And every time you hang out, you're miserable and she feels better. Respect your boundaries and at some point say to her, I can't help you. I've had someone do this to me where I was going through a bad breakup and I was ruminating and all I could think about was negative stuff. And I had a friend who said, stop, we're not talking about that anymore. And it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool to be like, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for giving me, thank you for doing that favor for me to tell me I was ruminating and to tell me to stop and that you wouldn't accept it. There are all there are there also are subtle ways to respect your boundaries. You might start taking every other call and wean yourself off of her. You can do the same thing with a person who calls you at your busiest time of day. You might say, "I can't be available for you at 2:30 because I'm at the office. Let's set up a particular time to talk." When setting up the time, offer one that works best for you. Don't be scared of the fallout. People pleasers often worry that after they say no, the fallout will be catastrophic. But as Newman said, the fallout is never as bad as we think it is. In fact, it's usually very insignificant. Why? People are not thinking about you as much as you think. Usually after you say no, a person is more focused on who they'll be asking next to help out than you uh, than your so-called betrayal. Even a significant request such as being the maid of honor at your friend's wedding isn't disastrous. Being the maid of honor takes a lot of time, energy, and money, which you may not have. First of all, if you say no to being someone's maid of honor, they'll never forget that. You saying that I'm really honored and this means so much to me, but I won't be able to do it isn't going to ruin the wedding. If you have a solid friendship, this isn't going to end it. Well, that's one where I, that's a tough one. Consider who you want to have your time. Newman suggests asking yourself, who do I really want to help? As she put it, do you want to be there for your parents or some friend from college who lived down the hall who you partied with a lot who's back in your life and really demanding? Self-soothe. Using positive self-talk is like being a good mother to yourself. You can use this to remind yourself of your priorities and boundaries. For instance, you might say, I can do this. I have the right to park in this parking spot. I made the, d- the decision that's right for me. Or my values are more important than saying yes in this situation. Yeah, 
So that's kind of like this, that belief to tell yourself, like, I'm worth more than whatever baloney this person wants from me. Recognize when you've been successful. Many people pleasers tend to focus on what went wrong. Counteract this tendency by keeping a journal with the times you handled a situation well, such as when you were assertive or didn't apologize. In fact, you might be surprised at how many more times you're responding confidently. Keep a confidence file. Since a lack of confidence can cause your people-pleasing ways, keep a file with positive and praising emails, cards, or anything else. For instance, Psych Central Associate Editor Therese Borchard keeps a self-esteem file. It can even come in handy when asking for that raise. Tillman suggests point, uh, printing out any emails or letters or praise you've received from coworkers or higher-ups and taking them to your boss as another reason why you deserve a raise. I've got that from one of the first times I was ever cast in a movie. The person wrote me a nice email telling me all the reasons why they wanted to hire me and how much they loved my audition, and I, I printed it out. It meant so much to me to get that praise and validation. Realize that you can't be everything to everyone. Again, people pleasers want to make everyone happy. While you might make someone happy temporarily, it doesn't work long term. And you can get hurt in the process. People who preserve their time and energy and don't say yes to everyone also realize that they can't make other people happy. People pleasers must realize that the only thoughts and feelings they can change are their own. You know, that's so important to read. And maybe I needed to hear that. Maybe you guys needed to hear that. But it's just like, you know, the oxygen tank, you know, when the, you know, in the plane, when the pressure, when the plane's going down and they say, put on your oxygen mask first before you help someone else out. You need to take care of your own time. You need to take care of who you are and be, and be a little selfish. You know, maybe there are people that are too selfish, but chances are, if you're a people pleaser, you take care of yourself last. And that is the problem. All right, let's read a couple of questions here. Give me a second to take a quick uh, sip of uh, water here. Oh, yeah. A couple of questions. We'll get out of here. My So this is from a 46-year-old female. My partner, a 44-year-old male, has a history of cheating with coworkers. Now, I cannot behave rationally. Does that mean I should leave? I've been with him for seven years, just to set the stage. He was married before, and his marriage ended because his wife found out he had an affair a year prior with a coworker. Okay, so he's already proven to be a cheater. I did not realize this when I met him. He did not tell me that is what had happened. I only figured it out after we were together for several years. During the first year we were dating, we had a fight one morning. It was escalated, and I threatened to leave, and he went to work mad. After work, he and a woman he works with went out drinking got drunk, and were making out. Her boyfriend walked into the bar looking for her and found them making out. He freaked out, dragged my partner outside, and punched him. He didn't tell me what happened, only that they got into a fight. So I contacted the boyfriend directly, found him on social media. At that point, I should have left, but I still hadn't found out the real reason his marriage ended, and I thought I had contributed to it with our fight. Now, two years ago, he was working with a woman... And I had no idea there was anything going on. But after she left the company, her husband contacted me and told me he had found out she and my partner had been having an emotional affair while she still worked with him. It was well over by the time her husband contacted me. I did some snooping and found lots of texts that were way too emotional for work colleagues. We went to therapy over that one. He agreed it was inappropriate, but that it had never been physical. This I definitely believe, and her husband believes it as well, due to many things as well as logistics. So they were, what, flirting and sexting on texting? That was two years ago, and as it has altered our relationship in many ways, especially trust. I have a hard time trusting him. Current situation. He lost his job unexpectedly in February due to the pandemic. Since then, he's been looking for a job, but also working contract 
uh, working contract from home for a different company. That work won't go on forever, but it's not. But now it's okay. A woman he knew from university days has asked him to work with her in a small business she owns. It has the potential to make great money, and it does sound promising, but it won't be at first. He wants to give it a try. It would mainly be working from home with some working together. But th- this is where I know I'm not behaving rationally. If this were a man who approached him, I'd be all for it. But because it's a woman and I looked up, looked her up and she's very attractive, I feel uncomfortable about it. What's more, she tends to post a lot of pictures wearing provocative clothes, meaning tight, short, low cut, and it's made me think she loves attention. In the past, my partner has willingly given attention to female coworkers, plus she's single. I told him I didn't feel comfortable and he said he's not going to do anything with her, but he really needs this job. At this point, I'm wondering if I should just walk away because I'm causing drama and also I know I can't live through that again if it were to happen. Well, I mean, look, your partner is clearly at fault for causing you to lose trust in him. That's the key issue here. So anything that happens moving forward, it's be, it's it's like you're not crazy. He cheated on you. Now, he didn't have sex, so then you get the semantics of how bad was the cheating. For sure it was cheating. So I guess the question would be, if he did take this job... How could he win your trust back? You know? Uh, Does he agree to only see her during work hours? I mean, it sounds obvious, you know, to the idea of going out drinking after work when you're, when you're married, just, I mean, I I understand unwinding and all that, but at the same time, it's like, if he's got a problem with fidelity, he probably has a problem with, you know, his primal urges when he's drinking. So maybe not drinking would be like, like if, if I were in his situation, it'd be like, or if I like, let's say this, if I was a buddy of his, I'd be like, dude, you got to not, you got, first of all, you got to decide not to drink with people that you might be working with or whatever. And also only communicate. Maybe, maybe you communicate through your phone, but you give your, you give your wife full access to it. Just to be like, I don't need you to audit this, but here's my phone, no passwords, no other ways of communicating. This is it. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't have to have your wife audit your messages to make sure you're not cheating. But if you really need the job and you really want to regain her trust, you got to give her some sort of, uh, uh, you know, you got to give her some sort of permission to make sure she's not thinking crazy when she's wondering if she's being cheated on or if there's some sort of emotional flirting or thing happening. Um, it sucks because of the pandemic that people are even put into these positions, but it is one that was completely caused by him. So what can you do? You caused it. All right, here we go. I'm a 31 year old female buying a house and my girlfriend, a 28 year old female thinks it's for both of us. How do I tell her it's not? All right. This goes back to like, uh, not being a people pleaser, right? Uh, you know, you just have to kind of like have a tough conversation. My girlfriend and I have been dating for about nine months. I love her so much and our relationship is by far the best one I've ever had. That being said, we have in the past had issues about space with her wanting us to spend more time together and me needing to have at least a little time to myself throughout the week. We've compromised and worked through it and it's fine, but she's made a few comments here and there about being excited to get to wake up next to me every day at some point in the future and that sort of thing. I've never lived with a partner before and I haven't had a roommate in over 10 years. So that conversation feels very off for me although I'm not opposed to discussing it someday. So anyway, 
I recently unexpectedly came into some money for the first time ever, and I've started shopping for my first home. Throughout the process, I've obviously talked about it with my girlfriend, have sent her listings, etc., but never once did I say or imply that this house would be for both of us. Of course, I value her opinion, and I'm, to and I'm totally taking location proximity to her into consideration, but I never envisioned us moving in together after less than a year of dating. However, I found out today that she expects that because she mentioned how she hopes the home buying process goes quickly because she can't wait to no longer live with her roommates. Yikes. I'm trying to figure out the most gentle, diplomatic way of telling her that I don't plan for this move to change our relationship that much. Obviously, she's always welcome at the house, just like she is at my current apartment, but it will be my house and she'll be there visiting as my girlfriend, just like I am when I go to her apartment. Again, that's not to say that I never want to move in with her, but I am absolutely not ready to do that right now. It's also striking me as a little entitled that she would assume I would buy a house with my own money and that it would somehow be for the both of us. But to be clear, that's never been a thing with her before. If anything, she's usually the one who insists on paying for dinner, buying me gifts, etc. I think she'd be mortified to know I'm interpret interpreting this as entitled, so I really don't think that's intentional on her part. Mostly I'm concerned that this is going to flare up the issue we had early on where she felt like I didn't want to see her as much as she wanted to see me and that it's going to cause a bigger problem because besides me just not being ready to move in together. Too long, didn't read. I'm buying a house. My girlfriend thinks it's for both of us. How do I tell her it's not? Well, look, I mean, when I first saw the title, I thought that she thought she have like uh, ownership stake in it. But instead she's like, oh, you're buying a house. Great. That means you'll have room for me and we'll move in and, and whatnot. And that is how a relationship progresses. So you've dated for nine months. Is that too soon to move in together? I mean, it depends on the relationship. It really does. My relationship, Tasha and I moved in pretty quickly and um, it had its road bumps, but you know, for the most part, you know, it's worked out. Um, you know, you can like your alone time, but if you're buying a house, you can still have a lot of alone time and still live with a partner. So it's kind of one of those scenarios. You relationships can only move in one direction, which is forward. So if you're moving forward, buying a home, it wouldn't be crazy for her to think that she would be moving in with you. But of course that conversation needs to happen. If she, if you don't want her to move in, you have to at least have that conversation about where you see each other in the future. Hey, you know, we've only been together for nine months. I could totally see living with a partner after dating for over a year or two. But at this time, I just don't think it would help the dynamic that we have in the personal space. So let, I'd love to table that discussion, but I'd love to have you over whenever possible, but I don't think it's a great idea for you to move in yet. Now that could obviously come off cold, but it sounds like you're, um, you're empathetic enough to, posed a question here. So you probably really care about how it all goes. So my thought to you would be, you know, just make sure you don't let the other person think, make sure you don't let your partner think you're just stringing them along. Cause that's what kind of happens when somebody's like love language is quality time. They think that because the other person doesn't like, this is my relationship. Tasha loves quality time. So for me, that's just not the gear that I go to for when it comes to love. It's just not. Uh, so if I give Tasha 30 hours a week of quality time, but she needs 36 hours, there's six hours there where she's feeling like she's not getting loved. And that's not the case at all. Chances are I'm doing work to provide and, and be able to afford, you know, whatever. Like it's, I always tell Tasha, like, look, just because I'm not there doesn't mean I'm not thinking about you. Doesn't mean I'm not working hard towards my goals so we can travel and, do, you know, whatever. But when when someone is um, needs that, uh, that personal in-person attention more than the other person, it does create a, like, sort of, like, wanting gap. So because of that, you're going to have to find a way to 
work on giving them the quality time they need, but also letting them know what you need, which might be to not have someone move in when you've only been dating for nine months. You can totally use the nine months as a crutch, but it ain't going to last forever. Like at some point, if you're two years into a relationship and she's paying in rent to live somewhere and yet she's also going shopping with you for new lamps, like if she's investing in like the life you're building at, at some point, you're going to have to include her into that life. That's how it works. All right. Our final question. And then I'm getting out of here. Let me, re- let me drink some uh, water first. A lot of talking today. <clears throat> I proposed and received maybe eventually as the response. That is a nightmare. Oh, I can't even watch the videos of people that say no to, for, from a proposal. No way. I mean, what's the percentage of people that propose and the person doesn't give a hard yes? How do you, is there any coming back from that in a relationship? Let's read what they said. Um, I'm in my late for a late forties male. And I've been with this woman, late thirties female for almost 10 years. Love her to pieces. She's absolutely the one for me. We had talked about marriage often. And I told her that I wanted to marry her when I was free of prior commitments. So I could devote myself fully to her and our life together. Yesterday, I finally got the closure that I had been working extremely hard on for the past few months. I came home and surprised her with my proposal and got what I feel to be an honest, on-the-spot response, maybe eventually. Everything I've been working on has been in an effort to secure our life together. My kids are grown and I sold my house. Now I feel like a guest in the house I helped buy. I am also on a low dose of Lexapro for anxiety and I'm feeling quite numb. My heart feels shattered but stuck in some sort of uh, stasis, stasis. Just exploded in place. I'm at a loss for what to do next. First of all, what kind of closure were you looking for? Like, that's kind of strange. You're looking for closure. Um, uh, So so the comment says, what I keep coming back to is the comment, I told her that I wanted to marry her when I was free of prior commitments so I could devote myself fully to her and our life together. What does this mean? You've been together for almost 10 years. What prior commitments have you been hanging on to for almost 10 years that you're only now ready to move from long-time relationship to marriage? I'm not blaming you, but I'm considering the possibility that she's written off the importance of going through the official wedding and marriage thing. Oh, very interesting. And then someone says, I'm guessing he was married the whole time. Yeah, maybe he, maybe he was married the whole time, you know? This could have been written by my ex-girlfriend. It was fun when I found out that her husband didn't even know about their impending divorce. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I had rose-colored glasses on and she was a master manipulator. Luckily, it didn't go on nearly as long as OP's situation. I wouldn't be surprised if the original poster had been dropping similar breadcrumbs and his girlfriend is reevaluating the whole situation. So this is how the person responds. Okay, now we're getting interesting. We're getting the full story here. This is from the original poster. When we, because people are saying, what? what, what, what kind of, you know, ten years of dating this person? Because in my thoughts, if you, you know, you ask someone to marry you after ten years of dating, you know, it's like, well, if they just jump to the conclusion to say yes, it sounds like they were waiting for you for ten years. So you cannot, you have to understand the receiver of that might say, oh, now you want to ask? Well, how about I make you like work a little bit for it? When we met, I was coming out of a really bad marriage. My three kids that are now 22, have emotional issues and one is on the spectrum. Getting them launched and self-sufficient was my prior commitment and then selling the old familiar 
familial home. All through winding that part of my life down, we have discussed finally getting married. A few months ago, when I had to have my hand operated on, she let me know that if we were married, her insurance would have covered more of the expense. I thought we were on the same page. I thought the surprise proposal was only going to be the surprise of asking for a known answer. I know she can do better than me. Maybe she has just realized it too. Oh, that's that's not always true. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. It's clearly the guy's heartbroken. But, you know, you know, you gotta maybe... My advice would be listen to her no and try to really come to terms with why it took you 10 years to get engaged and understand that if it took you 10 years to get engaged or to propose at least, you should give her at least a little bit of time before she answers. I mean, that's only right, you know? You held on to it for 10 years, you know? You've, you've gotten her through, like, a, a large portion of her you know, child-rearing years without a ring on her finger, and now you got to say, look, all right, okay. I, you know, maybe, maybe, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't commit to me right away if I wasn't able to commit to you for this long. I don't know. You'll have to figure it out, my man. But anyway, I hope everyone out there, look, if anyone has any questions uh, or any topics you want me to cover on the podcast, please reach out to me. You can slide into my DMs at DNeals on Instagram. That's probably the best way to reach out to me. And um, yeah, I like when I do the solo episodes, I like to include a little bit of like motivational self-help stuff. Today, we talked about the 21 ways to not be a people pleaser, but I also like to read random questions I find on the internet and give my own unsolicited opinion. But anyway, folks, uh, so much more content on the YouTube. If you haven't uh, done so already, sign up for the mailing list. I've got a mailing list. I'm sending out newsletters. You can sign up for that. And uh, if anyone wants to send me sweets, you're still allowed to send me sweets. I just need to do a better job. Let me do a better job of managing how little or how much of them I eat. Uh, I appreciate everyone who sent so much love for the birthdays. Uh, So much so. And for those that have stuck around for the podcast, I appreciate all of you guys. I know you're all over the world. You're coming from different places, Germany and England and Canada and Mexico and all of my, you know, U.S. compadres and everyone else that's out there, South Africa. I mean, you know, you guys are all over the map, but I appreciate all of you. And uh, and if, if anyone wants uh, further content, if you're on the audio version listening to this and not a member of the Patreon community, you can go to patreon.com slash the sap, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash t-h-e, S-A-P, and then you can find all of the solo episodes, the extra content that we put there, and that helps uh, us pay the bills and keep the podcast going. So anyway, I wanted to thank everyone from the bottom of my heart. The pandemic, I mean, I just got my second vaccine. I am just ready to rip and roar and start this world back up and jump on a plane and live some life, and I appreciate everyone who stuck around. I know it's been a wild year. I know a lot of people have stopped listening to podcasts because they don't commute to work and uh, all these other issues and changing times and changing mediums. But a lot of people have found this podcast through my YouTube channel uh, for those very same reasons that people are stuck at home. They're on YouTube. So the markets are shifting and I just appreciate everyone who's stuck around for the journey. Thank you guys so much. Have a good week and I will see you next time. Bye now. Bye now.